Good morning. Good morning, everyone. As we're still coming in, as we're in our first Sunday back to this freakishly early service, thank you for joining us. Please stand and let's worship our God together through song. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze and hope like wildfire in our very soul. Holy Spirit, come and make us know. We are your church. We need your power. Thank you. 
Father, thank you that we are your children, that we are no longer slaves to fear, but we have hope and life in you, and we've come today to worship you because we know that's true. Be glorified in our worship even as you speak into our hearts, and we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Good to see all of you here today. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning.
Let me just uh, mention a couple of things to you. There are some new sheets on a, in a pad in front of you in the pew rack. They're standing up like this. Uh, yeah, they look like this. And um, these are ways that we're using to connect with you. Uh, if you're a guest this morning, we certainly encourage you to fill this out. But, if, but uh, everyone else is welcome to fill it out. There are places where you can mark on here things you might be interested in knowing more about, maybe participating in, being part of. And uh, these, uh, we encourage you, you can drop in the offering plate, or if that comes too quickly, just leave it in the row and we'll collect them after the service. I also want to mention, remind you, uh, at 5 o'clock today, we're meeting, I think the weather's supposed to be nice, we'll be meeting outside over here for a, uh, a picnic. And you see information in the bulletin about things to bring, and we have some games planned, and just a lot of fun activities. And so we hope to see you uh, this afternoon at 5 and uh, for the next uh, hour or two after that as we uh, come in fellowship together. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. How are you? This is the uh, Puerto Rico team from this year. In June 21st through the 29th, uh, this group of people traveled to Puerto Rico, and we were at the Wesleyan Academy of Puerto Rico where we did some work for that school. And uh, we did some painting and some cleaning and some general sort of light repair kind of things. Uh, and you can be really proud of this group. They worked hard. There was no complaining. And, uh, we really did a, uh, they did a good job. And we slept on the floor in their classrooms. Uh, the girls in one room, boys in the other. And the boys' room smelled really, really bad by the end of the week. I felt bad for the teacher who had to come in there and teach in the next couple of days. But uh, uh, it was really a, a great experience. And uh, we are going to share a little bit with you this morning, but we've only got a few minutes, and we're going to have on September 9th in Kaleidoscope Sunday School class, we're going to do a full report at that time. So you're going to hear from a couple other people right now. Hi. Um, so as you know, we had the Rutz family. Oh, oh, I'm Maya. Sorry. <laughs> Um, as you may know, we had the Retz family with us, and they being the smart ones, they brought a few care packages um, that included a couple of necessities like toothbrush, toothpaste, hygiene products, along with a Bible verse, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The idea was that when we saw a homeless person on the sidewalk, we could give it to him or her as we drove by. One day we stopped at a red light and we saw a homeless lady who was missing an arm. Immediately, Miss Retz, she asked PJ, who was driving, as she was already opening the door, hey, can I get out here real quick? And she, without even waiting for a response, jumped out and ran across the street to give the lady the care package. As the light turned green, we drove away and saw her go right to the Bible verse and start to read it. As she read her face lit up and a huge smile came on her face. She looked so happy. I realized that this is the only reason why we volunteer and go on a missions trip, not for the money or the fame or just for an excuse to go on a trip. (laughs) We do it for the joy, the joy that we bring others when we share what we have. So our mission Going to Puerto Rico, we were hoping that we would contribute to the identity development of our youth through service and experiences they wouldn't have otherwise. We wanted to encourage thankfulness for what we do have and compassion for those in need. Also, to deepen our relationship with God, understanding his heart toward all of humanity and toward each of us individually. Our trip theme passage was Philippians 2, 5 through 11. It speaks of having the same mindset as Christ Jesus in our relationships with one another. Jesus made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, and he humbled himself. Our individual and group devotions were aimed at seeing Christ's message of humble service and understanding his heart toward us through several of his parables. We study the invited guests from Luke 14, the workers in the vineyard from Matthew 20, the sower of the seeds from Matthew 13, and the Good Samaritan we ended with. Scripture says in the Good Samaritan, after he told the parable, Jesus asked the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise, essentially saying that the law was not for debating, but for doing. The Samaritan, he saw somebody in need, demonstrating eyes of service. 
He had compassion. He had a heart of service. He rolled up his sleeves and helped. He had hands of service. He went the extra mile with feet of service. He gave financially the wallet of service. Pastor John and I took an Uber ride. Anyone take an Uber ride yet? I've, this is my first. Great experience. So we took an Uber ride back to the airport after dropping off the vans uh, at the academy and everybody at the airport. I was blessed to be a backseat eavesdropper on John's conversation with our driver. They asked each other what they did for a living when John told him he was a pastor and that he was in Puerto Rico leading a group of Christians offering service to the people there. Our driver expressed his experience with matters of faith, being pretty much isolated to church on Sunday. He explained that he had never seen someone actually doing the things outside of church that were preached about in church. He proceeded to express a desire to connect on a deeper level with God. Pastor John was placed there in that moment for a greater purpose than to receive a ride to the airport. We were all placed there for those nine days for a greater purpose than to paint, help at a food bank, and deliver care packages. If interested in more stories, lots more stories, come to Kaleidoscope. September 9th, we'll be speaking there about the trip. God did some great things. We'd like to thank all of you for your support, prayers, financially. We have all witnessed the church emulating the Good Samaritan with an eye, heart, hand, foot, and wallet all given to serve God. Thank you. to invite our ushers forward as we go back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Father, we are so grateful that we can be confident in your faithfulness, that you are a God who has never failed anyone. In the difficult times of life when we struggle and we feel burdened and weighed down and the questions arise in our minds, remind us that you are faithful, that you are good. And may our hope rest in who you are. Father, it is because of your faithfulness, it's because of who you are, that as we gather today, we not only sing your praises, but we bring our burdens and our concerns to you. Knowing that you hear us and that you are at work. Father, for some of us here today, the burden most pressing on our hearts has to do with a relationship. We pray for your healing. For others, it is something related to our work. We pray for resolution. We pray for strength. We pray for guidance. For some, it's about the future. And we pray for wisdom as we move forward in our lives. Father, as we gather today, we know that there are are burdens that weigh upon us related to uh, pains And the difficulties and the disappointments of life. We think of those who are grieving today and ask for your comforting presence. We think of all who are struggling with health issues. And ask that you would bring healing to Aaron Kohler, Karen Gardy, Phil Main, Dan Gurley, Florence Tuber, Rosalind Danner, Isabella Doherty, Gus and Louise Princell. Nancy Cole, Peter Lingenfelter, Doris Esepian, Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson, Bill Getty, Mike Raybuck, Everett, Emily Cricklar, and others who are on our minds today. And we thank you for your healing work in each of them. Father, we thank you for the ministries of this church as we uh, looked at this This line of people this morning who gave time and energy and money to go to Puerto Rico and to work there. We pray that you will bless their efforts. We pray that the fruit of their labors would be significant in Puerto Rico as well as in each of their lives and in us as a community of faith. We thank you for churches around us who are serving you. And today we pray for the Dalton United Methodist Church and Pastor Lauren Turner. May your grace be evident in this congregation of believers as they share your love with each other, with their community and with the world. And Father, we, we pray for our outreach in the world. Thank you for the privilege you've given us to be a presence of, of hope and, and of helping folks who are right around us through our benevolent fund and our food pantry. Continue to burden our hearts about the needs right around us and give us the grace to do all that we can to help meet those needs and to help people see you and your grace. And we think of of the world beyond us. We continue to pray for people recovering from tragedies and disasters all over the world, for refugees who continue to look and find, seek places of refuge, For peace where there is war. Father, we thank you for your church around the world. And as we think about uh, Nigeria today, we pray for Ben Hegeman. As he has been serving there, teaching there, working in Joss. And and in very difficult circumstances. A lot of upheaval and, and violence and opposition in this great city. We pray that you would protect your church there. 
And that you would give to Ben an anointing on his teaching, on the relationships he builds, and the fruit of his labors there. Father, we pray for the presence of Christ to be so visible in the great nation of Nigeria. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you that in all times and in all places, we can trust you. Help us to know your grace that we might walk in your peace and follow your ways. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning. I'll be reading Psalm 83 this morning, a song of Asaph. Hear the word of the Lord. O God, do not remain silent. Do not turn a deaf ear. Do not stand aloof, O God. See how your enemies growl, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation, so that Israel's name is remembered no more. With one mind, they plot together. They form an alliance against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites of Moab and the Hagrites, Byblos, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, and the people of Tyre, even Assyria has joined them to reinforce Lot's descendants. Do to them as you did to Midian, as you did to Sisera and Jabin at the river Kishon, who perished in Endor and became like dung on the ground. Make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us take possession of the pasture lands of God. Make them like tumbleweed, my God, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, or a flame sets the mountains ablaze, so pursue them with your tempest, and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame, Lord, so that they will seek your name. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the Most High over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, children aged 2 to 5 may follow me down to Children's Church.
Please be seated. Sometimes the, uh, the scriptures are difficult for us. Sometimes we, we read a scripture and we are left feeling a little bit confused. Sometimes maybe a little bit frustrated. Sometimes a little bit irritated. Uh, sometimes a little bit worried. You know, there are passages of scripture that uh, if we bring uh, non-Christian friends to church, we really hope... We don't read those passages in church that Sunday. And then we, we scratch our heads and we think, what in the world is that about? Why in the world is that in the Bible? And it just seems to confuse everything. And I suspect that maybe Psalm 83 might be one of those passages. I mean, this is a passage which causes some, some scholars through the, the years to say, one of the passages to say, the God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. And, and when you read these passages and you begin to think about them and process them and, and the, you know, they begin to work in our minds, we probably are not all that unlike the little boy who, when, when read some of these stories and passages from the Old Testament, said, well, that was before God was a Christian. <laughs> you know, you, you, you kind of get that, Right? Here you have Psalm 83, Israel is singing this song, crying out to God, saying, Lord, wake up. I mean, it begins with this direct, direct uh, asking of God, his saying, God, don't be silent, don't be deaf, don't be quiet. Don't you hear what our enemies are doing with us? Don't you see that they're rising up against us? God, what are you doing? And here's what we want you to do. We want you to wipe them out. We want you to take them out. We want you to make them like chaff in the wind. We want you to make them desolate. We want you to wipe them from the face of the earth. We want you to get rid of them. And, those, and it's when we read those kinds of things that we step back and say, well, maybe that was before God was a Christian. But what we have to understand is that as, as the, the Israelites are praying this prayer, and it's in their hymn book, and singing this song, that they are, they're being pressed. I mean, when you look at verses, uh, beginning at verse uh, 2, uh, verse 3, it talks about how the, the crafty schemes against them, and, and that they are, they are joining within, around us, and they are conspiring against us. And, and they've signed a treaty as allies against you. And he lists all these different nations around them that have joined together. And their goal is to wipe out Israel. And some of these nations are relatives of Israel. Some of these nations are, are people that they are connected to in their history. And they are intent on wiping out Israel. And some of the nations are from around the world. And all of them have joined together and said, we're going to take out Israel. And what I find fascinating is that really it shouldn't surprise Israel and it shouldn't surprise us that opposition comes against God's people. What you really have here is, is a story of, of all the people who reject God trying to eliminate the people who trust God. And why would they do that? Because it's really not so much nation against nation as it is the evil one against God himself. You'll notice the pronouns that the psalm uses. Don't you hear the uproar of your enemies? Don't you see that your arrogant enemies are rising up? They're devising schemes against your people. They conspire against your precious ones. These are, they're, they're signing a treaty to align against you, O oh Lord. What we really have here is a picture of the work of the evil one in the world to destroy God's people. To wipe out God's people. 
to get rid of God's people on the earth. And it really shouldn't surprise us that that's the intent of the evil one because the evil one hates God and hates everything that is connected to God and does everything in his power to destroy people that God, that love God and are connected to God. And we see this throughout the history of the scriptures and the history of the world. And that's why when Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew's gospel, he says, you'll be arrested, persecuted and killed. You'll be hated all over the world. Why? Because you're my followers. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. They persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you. Why is that? Because it's the work of the evil one against God's people. And the evil one's intent is not just to wreak havoc in all that God has made, but specifically to eliminate the presence of God's people on this earth. It shouldn't surprise us that there's opposition. It shouldn't surprise us that the church is persecuted around the world. It's the work of the evil one. And the Israelites are simply saying, God, what are you going to do about it? Don't you care? I'm fascinated by the fact that the psalmist doesn't seem to be afraid to pray honest an honest prayer. Sometimes that's hard for us. We we know what's in our hearts, but it sounds so unchristian coming out of our mouths. It it doesn't sound right to say, God, crush evil and all those who have given themselves to evil. And yet when we read the scriptures, nowhere do we see God saying that denial is a spiritual gift. God is always wanting his people to be honest with him. Because if we sense it, if we feel it, if we're thinking it, if it's a part of us, it is far better to say, God, this is where I'm at, than to to pretend or deny that it's there. Because we all know what happens. If you just keep pushing things down that are a part of us, and you just keep pushing them and pushing them and pushing them, eventually they will explode. And they will explode in ways that that are very unhealthy. We've all experienced it probably in our own lives and in the lives of other people. And the psalmist understands something that I think we wrestle with, that God wants us to be honest with him. It's not a lack of faith to be honest with God. I would argue that it's a sign of faith to be honest with God. That we believe God understands, that God can take it, that God cares about how we feel, and he wants us to be honest with him. When I, look, when I read about the great saints of, of, God, of God's people, when I, the people I've known, who I would say are the holiest people I've ever experienced, they have this such closeness with God that they are brutally honest with God. And sometimes it makes me nervous they're so honest with God. They trust him. They believe that God wants honesty, not denial. And when we are honest with God about our enemies, about the work of evil in the world, you better believe it's going to be emotionally charged prayers. How could it not be? How can we not feel emotionally charged about evil in the world? In fact, the opposite of that would be basically saying, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter to me if that evil might run rampant in the world. It doesn't really matter to me what the evil one is doing to God's people and to others in the world. I'm just not that concerned about it. I'm not really going to get all that upset about it. That's not a sign of spirituality. That's a sign of apathy. It ought to bother us that evil is at work in the world. And and one of our responses to that ought to be honest, emotionally charged prayers, just like the psalmist. And maybe in those emotionally charged prayers, we say things that that we, we don't really mean, or we or we extend what we say beyond what we might ever do. 
But it's a part of working through it. It's a part of acknowledging the reality that evil is at work and evil needs to be defeated. And it bothers us. I can tell you when fifth grade was probably the most difficult, painful year of all of my education. We just moved to a new town, large city, that summer before, and uh, entered into fifth grade, didn't really know very many people. And for some reason, you know, I was, I was always a very small kid. I don't even think I was five feet tall when I started high school. I mean, I, I was small and scrawny, and uh, there are days where I wish for some of that again, but that's a whole other story. But, but I, was, I was little, and for some reason, a couple of guys in the fifth grade class just thought it was their calling in life to, to pick on me. And so every day at lunchtime, you know, they would chase me around the parking lot and they would pick on me and do all these things. And, you know, and I would appeal to others, to, you know, teachers that they didn't seem to notice, didn't seem to pay much attention, you know. And finally, one day, there was another kid in our class who was bigger than me and obviously much tougher than me, who said, I'm not going to let that happen anymore. And he began to defend me. And it made all the difference in the world. But I can tell you. There were some prayers going through my mind in fifth grade that probably I wouldn't want to admit. Because I was emotional about it, and it was painful, and it hurt. And I'm asking God to do things that I wanted him to do. And one of the things that I think we have to keep in mind when we read passages like this is that we are viewing them from 21st century with 21st century western eyes. I wonder. I wonder how people in North Korea. I wonder how people in Nigeria and in Somalia And in Pakistan. In places of the world where they don't have the same kinds of freedom that we do. I wonder how they view a prayer like this. And I know for myself, sometimes I can become very judgmental about these kinds of prayers. Because I'm not dealing with the things they're dealing with. And I think it's important to keep that in mind. I also think sometimes we wrestle with these kinds of prayers is, and, and praying them honestly is because we, we have been so culturally acclimated that we find it hard sometimes to really see the work of the evil one in the world. I'm not sure we really truly grasp the gravity of the evil one's work in the world. The way that the evil one wants to do everything possible to destroy what God loves. And is at work continually to bring others into his perspective and to follow him in the pain and the hurt and the destruction of all that God loves. And I'm not sure in our Western mindset if we take that as seriously as the Israelites do and as the church through the centuries has taken it. And we should. It ought to bother us deeply when we see evil at work. It ought to be something that makes us emotional, something that we pray deeply about because the evil one is real and the evil one is at work. But I think it's also important for us to understand that this, this psalm and the psalms like it are not so much about the personal nature of hurt and pain that we experience. This is really not so much talking about that person hurt my feelings or that, that person did something to, to, to make my life more difficult. This is about the kingdom of God Versus the kingdom of evil. And this is about the nation of Israel. This is about God's people. This is about the church. And ultimately, it's about the presence of the church in the world. 
It's about the witness of the church in the world. And when Israel prays, God, don't let our enemies eliminate us, what they're really praying is, God, don't remove your witness from this world. In the midst of all of the evil taking place, in the midst of all that the evil one is trying to do, you have placed your people in the middle of all of that to be a witness to who you are and what it can be like to follow you. Don't eliminate that witness. Don't let the evil one destroy the witness that might change people's lives who need to see who you really are. This is about being the witness of God in the world. And when we pray for evil to be defeated, when we pray for God's church to be protected, what we're really praying is, God, let your witness continue to shine and grow that others might know you. I wonder sometimes, I think about myself, if I really grasp the seriousness of what it means to be the witness of God in this world. Sometimes it's easy for us to say, well, you know, if, there's, if, if something happens to the church, God's Holy Spirit will still be the witness. And God can do whatever he wants to, even if he doesn't have his people. God could, but that's not the way God has designed it. And so we read in Genesis chapter 3, or chapter 12, verse 3, that God says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth. And we read in Romans chapter 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? How can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they, not, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? This is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And Jesus says to his disciples, some of the last words before he ascends into heaven... You are my witnesses. The church is my witness. And the prayer of Psalm 83 is, God, don't let the evil one undermine the witness of who you are. Don't let the evil one eliminate the witness of who you are. Make us your witnesses who help people see you. When you get to the end of this psalm, that's really what the psalmist is saying. In verse 16, the the psalmist says, Disgrace them until they submit to your name. In verse 18, Then they will learn that you alone are called the Lord. You alone are the Most High, supreme over all the earth. Ultimately, this is a prayer for people who do not know Yahweh to see him and to seek him. And to experience him. That's the witness of the church. And sometimes our prayers for protection. And our prayers for God to to spare his church. Feel a little bit self-serving. And maybe sometimes they can be. But ultimately it's about God's witness. To a world that needs to see him. To a world that doesn't understand who he is and what he wants to do in their lives. No wonder it's an emotional prayer. No wonder it's a song that Israel sings over and over again. God, let us be your witnesses among people who don't know who you are. It's the calling of the church. And Father, as they see our witness, may they understand who you are. May they understand that you are the God. And for Israel, all the nations around them worship all their gods. And ultimately, every battle between nations is really viewed as a battle between the gods. And Israel is saying, Lord, let the nations know that you alone are God. And in seeing who you are, we'll come to follow you. And our prayer is, God, amidst all of the the trouble and the burden of this world and all the evil of this world, let us bear witness to who you are. Because you're the king. It's really the message of the book of Revelation. 
You know, we, all, we, want, we read Revelation and what we want to think about is, you know, what do these symbols mean and what are this, all these prophecies? Ultimately, what John is saying to the church is the risen Christ wins. Period. And when you know the risen Christ wins, you can pray with honesty. You can pray with faith. You can pray for God to be revealed his people. As I was thinking about this passage, the, the words of Jesus came to my mind in Matthew chapter 5. At the end of that chapter, Jesus says, I, he says, you've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. And I think as we read this passage and we have that in mind, the thought, the question that came to my mind is, can the prayer of Asaph in Psalm 83 actually be an act of love? Can it be an act of love, of accomplishing what Jesus is saying here? And I think it can. I think it can be an act of love when we pray it from a heart of love. I mean, you can pray Asaph's psalm with a spirit of vindictiveness. You can pray Asaph's psalm from a spirit of anger and hatred and and venom. Or you can pray it from a spirit of compassion and grace and love. And can we cross the line when we pray that prayer? Of course we can. I suspect we all wrestle with doing that. But the intent is, God, reveal yourself through your people. Give us the ability to bear witness to who you are, to people who don't know you. I was thinking about the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who spent his adult life working against evil, marching against evil, preaching against evil, praying against evil. Speaking against evil. And it cost him dearly. But he still did it. And people's eyes were opened. And they saw something they hadn't seen before. And maybe God is calling us to that same kind of prayerful witness. Because ultimately, God's answer to Asaph's prayer is not a sword. It's a cross. It's a cross. Do we have enough faith in God to believe that God, who is God alone, will help us to bear witness to Him through our honest prayers, through our surrender to Him, through all of our lives as His people. Holy Father, thank You that You alone are God, that You alone are the King, that You've called us to be Your people, and that You will always have a people. Give us grace to trust you and to be your people. We ask this through Christ. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
Receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.